Institute of Akimotolu. This is Arce Tekun. I'm your uh, host on Indigenous Words and Ideas, Why the Podcast. And today I have a special co-host guest who you'll probably hear from more than once, Sione Ata Siulua, who I will let uh, introduce himself. And then we'll get into today's topic of uh, an introduction to what we like to call critical Tongan studies. Uh, thanks, Daniel. Um, my name is Sionata Siulua or Siulua, born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, my parents are from the villages of Hatejo and Lofanga, um, and my grandparents um, and beyond have ties to Ha'apai, um, Tetakamutonga, and Naftoka. Awesome. And what part of Salt Lake are you from? <laughs> South Jordan. Yeah, so me, Daniel and I, well, me, me specifically, I'm, I'm now based here in Aotearoa, studying at... Um, University of Auckland, a PhD in uh, a PhD in anthropology. So that's the, you'll you'll see a lot of the, our references to uh, New Zealand Aotearoa. So, so we're both kind of coming from these dual locations, and and Ata's uh, here currently studying uh, as well, which we'll talk about in another episode. But in this one, we just wanted to kind of do what we wanted to call an introduction to critical Tongan studies. Now, Tongan studies as a field it doesn't actually exist in any university. Yet, the, there's a, that's an interesting irony or contradiction, however, because uh, as you'll see throughout this episode, um, Tonga has been heavily studied. And not only that, there are a tremendous amount of Tongans, indigenous Tongans, uh, who have PhDs also, which means that, in at least theoretically speaking, or hypothetically, you could have multiple Tongan studies departments around the world, yet none of them exist. And so we wanted to kind of talk about what is Tongan studies, what would be a critical Tongan studies look, and also uh, try to invite people to, to think about this as well, because uh, just like any other topic, we see it as relevant, uh, of course, first and foremost, uh, should be at least to Tongans and the Tongan community, uh, but then beyond that as well, that it's relevant globally. Um, the late scholar Teresia Teiwa uh, talked about how the Pacific, for example, would be heavily studied but never brought to the table to talk about like the nature of humanity, like other cultures predominantly coming out of Europe, for example. So, you know, try to talk about philosophy without talking about the Greeks or anybody from France or Germany or England. Forget about it. Yet... Tonga, what, where, where's Tonga in that mix? Where's Samoa in that mix? Where's uh, Papua, Aotearoa, you know, uh, Panape, and, and on and on. And so those are the, the, the kind of perspectives we bring to this conversation today. And to, just to start it off, I'm going to ask Ata to kind of respond and add or subtract how he wants to this question. But who studies Tonga and why? Who studies Tonga? That's a good question. I mean, for, for me, and I think for the both of us, me, Daniel and I, when we first started actually studying Tonga, studying um, the literature and what has been published, published about Tonga, you know, when we first started, you know, we find, we find some things here and there. We find your very um, well-known scholars. But then as, as, you, as we dig a little deeper, we find just this huge plethora of, of scholars, both Tongan, non-Tongan, indigenous, uh, non-indigenous, that are writing about Tonga, and a lot of it is within context of Oceania. So, um, when we're talking about critical Tongan studies or Tongan studies, Tonga is kind of the the vessel of of studying something beyond ourselves, beyond Tonga. 
Um, so just in just within my um, just within my research, um, having read had having read a bit about about Dong and you know the different authors uh, out there, um, the first reading that I really point Tongans to that I know that are are studying Dong, especially here at university, is a book called um, A New Bibliography. Uh, is that what it's called? Something like that. So it's it's written by Martin Daly. Um, we should probably know. Huh? We, we should probably know. It's called A New Bibliography Dong or something like that. Um, it, all right. Or officially, Dong A New Bibliography. Yeah. So it's it's by um, a man named uh, Martin Daly Daly, um, and it has about seven hundred and fifty um, entries of just. Anything published about Donga, whether it's directly, indirectly, a chapter in a book, um, most of it is our books, uh, book chapters, articles, reports, surveys, studies, and then you also have um, it's also tracks um, some websites and some journal journals that um, write up, that have published about Donga, and then so that was published in 2009, and then 2016 he came out with an update to um, to his first book. And that contains about maybe a little bit over a hundred, so just little under a thousand entries just within these two within these two works, just about um, of of literature, books, articles, just about Doma. Yeah, it's just interesting for me to kind of look at all of these things. Most of these entries are annotated bibliographies, so they give a uh, a summary of of each reading. So it's very interesting just to look at. You know what has been written about the line, kind of a summary, and then if it kind of interests me in the things that I'm doing in, in in my research, then I'll then I'll go and try to find it, and hopefully I'll find it and and see what um, what has been written. So so any mainstream academic publication that has to do with Donga ha, is is what he's pretty much compiled yeah, together. Definitely. So it's not necessarily a book like a novel yeah. or or even like a. A history book or anything. It's it's a book about what's been written. Yeah, yeah. So you go and you'll see which authors there are, what they what the titles of their publications were, and, and just a little bit about what that publication is about. Definitely. And so what Ata has done um, has very diligently spent many hours um, compiling some data just based off of this, right? Because if you think about that for a moment, almost one thousand academic publications about Donga. So who's writing about Tonga? How many people are writing about Tonga? Why are they writing about Tonga? Because the thing that I have learned being in university is that the university has a lot of power in regards to what is considered legitimate knowledge in our society. Now, back in an earlier episode, I questioned that because I think we need to be a lot broader than just what's coming out of university, um, not to knock the good work that does come out of here sometimes, but... Um, Thinking about it more broadly, but there is a lot of power that influences law, policy, and even mainstream consciousness or the ideas that people have about a particular place. And in this case, do people know about Tonga around the world? Maybe not. So there's obviously a major uh, gap when there's been so much that's been researched about Tonga and then the mainstream consciousness is still maybe not where it needs to be. Aside from maybe Tongans themselves, Tongan scholars, people of the Pacific who might have a general awareness because they live that experience. So Ata, what did you find when you were looking at the demographics of this, this you know, treasure trove of uh, publications on Tonga? 
Yeah, so, I mean, I was, so as I was reading the book, I was, I was thinking about, I was interested to see, like, how many of these authors are Tongan or are not Tongan? How many of these authors are male, female? So, so just in looking, and these are just kind of the initial numbers. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the numbers are kind of, um, well, a lot of the authors, I don't really know if they're male or female yet, just by initials or, or by certain information given. But from the information that, I, that I've taken, majority, are, are majority, majority of what has been written about Donga has been written by non-Tongans, especially in pre-1959, in the 1800s, you know, the few that are in the 1700s, majority, majority non-Tongans. Um, and then once we get into like the 60s, um, the 80s, and then now we're in the 2000s, the numbers kind of the numbers kind of increases. So pre pre nineteen fifty nine, ninety percent was not was non Tongan, and then there's a few percentage um, of Tongan. And the the numbers are skewed just because I don't know the gender of a, of a large group, or I don't know the the ethnicity of of the large group. Um, but also within that period pre nineteen fifty nine, um, the numbers were the same for male and female. So ninety percent. Uh, ninety percent male and then a few percentage um, female in that time. For for demographics such as gen, uh, male female, they go from fifteen percent in the nineteen sixties, thirty percent in the nineteen eighties, and then about thirty six percent in in the two thousands. So for females in pre nineteen fifty nine, there were um, it was one hundred percent non Tongan. In nineteen sixty through nineteen seventy, one hundred percent non Tongan, and then when we get into like the eighties and then the two thousands. Um, we see a big increase of about 14% of the females um, publishing Artongan, and then in the 2000s it goes about up to about 17%. Just I know it's it's a lot of data, but um, just wanting to see kind of you know the different the different how how the numbers change throughout time and why why the numbers are changing as far as in the 2000s now we're seeing less men publishing in the 2000s we're seeing less. I think less Tongans publishing as well. So um, those are just kind of the numbers that I've been running. Um, just for, just, I mean, I don't really know what I'm gonna do with it right now. I, it, it will be relevant as we think about critical Tongan studies and who is publishing and who isn't as far as being Tongan or being male or being female. And, and so that's a you know, really interesting kind of thing to think about because um, if we go back to, to the, like, my inaugural episode in this podcast, I talk about identity and how we have complex identities, but how identity informs the way we see the world, right? Now, in academic studies, there's this idea that people, that you're supposed to try to be objective, like neutral, but I don't believe that you can ever fully be neutral or objective because everything has a cultural location, meaning everything has a bias. I think the best we can do is to first identify our own bias and try to withhold that when we're trying to better understand something that's coming from outside of our realm. And if it is coming from something that's from our own realm or reality, then at the same time, trying to restrain that bias to expand the understanding of how we have come to understand even our own lived experience or, or cultural location. And so that's why it's interesting to think about these numbers because all across the board, even though things seem to have gotten better and maybe not as bad is a better way of putting it as far as let's say the gender ratio sure there's more women but there's still not even half publications coming from women so still dominated by men publishing the uh these publications um and then also eth ethnicity wise the majority coming from non-tongans 
Um, it seemed to have doubled as far as Tongan's publishing for a while, which is great. But when you consider that even when it doubled, it was still, what, 20%-ish maybe? Or less Under than? 20%, yeah. Under 20%. So you still have 80% non-Tongans writing about Tonga. So where is that going? Where is it, you know, who knows about that yeah. stuff? I mean, I myself, I'm one of those non-Tongan scholars who does research and works with Tongans. I try to do things collaboratively, uh, bring people with me because they've brought me with them too. Mm -hmm. um, but even in that sense, who the, those non-Tongans are, where, where, where are their ethnicities? I, I'm pretty sure I'm the only Mayan uh, that does research in, with Tongans at the moment. Hopefully mm -hmm. that'll change. Hopefully there'll be Tongans that study Mayan stuff too at some point in time. So we're not isolated to just one thing. Um, and I, I'm also familiar with Ping Ann Addo and her work. And she's um, Afro-Caribbean Chinese. And she's done research in Tonga. And she's done some really interesting stuff on diaspora. Um, and she uh, talks about her experience of being a non-Tongan, also non-white researcher with Tongans. And that's kind of an interesting thing that kind of really, I felt uh, very similar to my own experience. But as, uh, the majority of these people are European, some Asians. What, what did you find there? Yeah, so, I mean, I love Ping, uh, Ping An's work, especially her, position, her positionality in, 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 in her work with Tongans. Being um, a black woman, you know, with, with the background that she has, and from, you know, from going, from an ex going from researching from the perspective of a white woman, you know, her experiences with working with Tongans is, is, is going to be very different, especially with issues of of race within a Tongan cultural context. And so just thinking about kind of the identities that researchers have and how the, it shapes what they're writing about Tonga is, is kind of interesting in, in, in understanding. I think, you know, it's, you know and, and when you say black too, right? There's, yeah. Are we talking black from the Pacific? Yeah. Or are we talking black Afro from the continent of Africa, right? And how those things get mixed up in the current global reality that we uh, kind of have inherited I know that was a thing for me in my research as well like when people thought I was Tongan I had a very different experience on one hand sometimes I had better access but on another one when it came to like privileged chiefly circles I didn't and then when they find out that I wasn't Tongan they'd be like oh, oh, oh come in like so it was interesting <laughs> yeah. that when in some cases when I was a non-Tongan uh, and it was known then I had better access to some things and less access to other stuff and then when people thought or assumed that I was Tongan, I had better access to some other things, but then <laughs> less access to some other ones. Yeah, definitely. Right? And so, and then even within Tonga, like, if you're a Tongan man versus a Tongan woman, or, or if you're queer, or, you know, if you're born in the States, or, you know, live overseas in New Zealand, or I mean, so all these different things we think about, uh, we think are important to think about because it influences the kind of work that comes out. Um, Phyllis Herda... Uh, who is a, a, a European descent scholar currently based here at the University of Auckland. She has a really interesting article where she talked about how the early writers about Tonga, the early explorers, um, because most of them were men, were focusing on just the men's experience yeah. in Tonga. And so that gives us a narrow view of what is going on. So of course they may have talked about other people's experiences, but they were focused on the men. They were focused on the achievements of of male chiefs, and she talks about a lot of missionary writings, for example, who either downplayed, ignored, or in some cases, like, were just talking crap about mm -hmm. 
chiefly Tongan women who had political power at that time. And so that has influenced the way that people think about that. So her work is really interesting in thinking about even looking at the role that gender has played, for example, in, in who's writing about Tonga. And she talks about, again, these are foreigners. And it's not that we can't use those records, but this is why we're saying we need to have a critical lens. We yeah, have to definitely. Be thinking about this stuff critically. But what we should do is maybe take a step back for a moment because we've kind of jumped into it. Yeah. And we're hoping that you're interested. <laughs> but we want to make it interesting uh, as well for hopefully all Tongans and, and then the broader Moana, Oceania, and even the broader indigenous and, and then the broader humanity, we hope it would be interest of interest to everyone. And so I'm going to bring, I'm going to share a, a quick uh, excerpt from one of the early writings uh, written by a, a young man. Um, I guess in that context, he would have been a young adult. We might even call him a child in today's context because things change over time. Um, Tokyo Kamea or William Mariner. And he made an interesting observation that I think makes Tonga relevant to uh, pretty much everywhere I've been in the world. And I haven't been everywhere, but I've been to a few places. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to read a section from it. And this is coming from Paul Dale's version of the book, which adds commentary at the end. Um, but the first part is going to be what William Mariner wrote. And this is a game that was played in, in uh, Tonga about 200 years ago. And I imagine that most of our listeners have probably also played this game or a version of this game at some point in their life. Probably came from Tonga. So here we go. Quote, they sit opposite to each other and make signs with the hands simultaneously. The one whose turn it is to count, making one or other or another of three signs by a sudden jerk of his arm, presenting either his open hand, his closed hand, or the extended index finger, the others in the thumb being clinched. His opponent at the same moment also makes a sign, and if it happens to be the same, it becomes his turn to play. Close quote. So three points to think about in there. One... When we talk about gender, the gendered pronouns in there, his hands, he. So again, you can see the, the gendered bias in who's paying attention to, because this doesn't seem to have been a, a game that was exclusively for men. But here's the other two, three points to think of if you haven't identified the game yet, okay? Open hand, closed hand, or extended index finger. Open hand, paper. Closed hand, rock. Index finger has added a, the middle finger and has become scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. Okay, Paul Dell goes on to ask the question, quote, Could it have been brought to New England and the United States by whalers who learned it during the course of their cruises in the South Pacific? Close quote. He goes on to speculate other possibilities, but until further notice, we're just going to give Tongans the credit for inventing rock, paper, scissors. And that's one that maybe isn't as well known. I think the, wor the words tattoo and taboo are more commonly known as contributions from this part of the world, not just Tonga, but other uh, parts of that region who share that language that comes from Tatao or Tatatao or Tapu. Or, um, and so th this stuff has become part of the world and the part of the everyday life of people around the world. And so it's good for us to understand these genealogies and um, excavate these ideas to better understand where they're coming from. And so to go to the next point, so I have a question that I'm going to have Atta try to answer for us here, because we've been talking about Tonga, but we haven't actually talked about uh, where Tonga is, right? Or what Tonga is. Or who Tonga is. Or who Tonga is. So have you guys seen, if you've seen the film uh, Infinity War, 
with Marvel. There's the scene on the spaceship where uh, one of the guys is like, where's Gamora? And then I think it was Iron Man. He replies, he's like, who's Gam- I'll do you one better. Who's Gamora? And then Drax is like, I'll do you one better. Why is Gamora? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what we're trying to do here. Right? So we're asking, where is Tonga? Okay? So this has to do with geography and orientation. But we're also going to ask, you know, what is Tonga? Who is Tonga? And then also, when is Tonga? <laughs> so pick one of those, Ata, and, and we'll, we'll take it from there. Yeah, I mean, because when we're, when we're talking about what is Tonga, who is Tonga, when is Tonga, uh, why is Tonga, um, it's interesting to kind of take a critical look. And I know we've, we've been talking about critical Tongan studies, but looking at Tonga beyond kind of this idea of what it is. Um, because even in language, you know, what is your name is English. Uh, but in Tongan, it's or who is your name. And so thinking about Donga in maybe a relational way in, or in a Tongan way. Because when Tongans get to know each other, uh, you're getting to know each other relationally. So, and these are a lot of, a lot of the issues that I'm, because I'm currently um, working in Donga right now for my research, that, um, that I'm working with, with Tongans in Donga is what does it mean to be Tongan? Who is Tongan and who is, who not, who is not Tongan? And so this idea of us always being Tongan is something that we need to question because we weren't always Tongan. We weren't always from a specific village. You know, my mom's from Hatejo, but they moved, they moved here when my, grand, when my, my grand, uh, grandpa was in, was in um, high school. They were in Hapai before. I've met Tongans who, you know, in, talking, in working with Tongans in Tonga, they, they're, they're surprised when they find out that they're not 100% Tongan. Their great-grandfather was German or, or Japanese. I'm actually one eighth, one eighth Japanese, so my great-grandfather is Japanese. Or they are surprised when they find out that they're not originally from Tatakamotonga, or one of their grandparents isn't originally from Tatakamotonga. So we have to get out of this mindset. Tongans weren't always Tongans, especially when we have the explorers, the colonizers, um, coming coming into Tonga in the 15th centuries or the 16th century, starting the 16th centuries, and we have Cook and the missionaries, and then we have the creation of the nation state of Tonga. So once Tonga was created by the first king, um, George Dupo Taufahau, uh, now we have a nation state of Tonga, and now we're being called Tongans. But what did we call ourselves before? That's a really interesting question, right? Um, and so I'm going to answer the, I'm going to respond to it but I'm going to answer also the question of where is Tonga right because that I think when we when we say bring a critical lens it means questioning how we may have inherited thinking about a particular place so oftentimes when I was in the US people talk about Tonga as the South Pacific and yet here Tonga is north of us in Aotearoa if we're looking at the the western cardinal directional system uh, and so what way is your map facing what map are you using <laughs> Right? Is your map north-facing? Because most of them are. That creates a particular idea of how you understand the world and who is where. If you flip that map right side up, or what some would say upside down, where it's a south-facing map, that's a very different perspective as well. Here in Aotearoa, that's a common way of of understanding uh, Aotearoa because that is how Maui saw it. uh, When Maui fished out the Ika Maui, the North Island, um, and then we have Te Waipounamu, uh, the South Island. Uh, and so in English, right, you're hearing North Island, South Island. But from the Maori perspective, you have, uh, it's 
it's the other way around. And so with Tonga, like if you think about the origins coming from Pulotu, which some have speculated um, was the island in Fiji called Burotu, which is no longer there, kind of like a Atlantis of that region, if you will, because it's an island that's, that's said to have sunk or disappeared. And then Pulotu is also this spirit realm and, and, and uh, ancestral homeland also. Then what you should do is the map should be east-facing <laughs> if you want to look at it that way. And so if you begin to flip the map around, then you start asking the question of where is Tonga in a very different way. But then Tonga itself, like Atta was saying, when is it? And so the idea of today with the modern nation is premised on a, a monarchy that's about a constitutional theocratic monarchy that's been around for maybe around 150 years or so, plus or minus a bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's linked to a previous uh, set of lineages mm-hmm that are go back to the first paramount chief title of the Tuitonga, uh, which is approximately a thousand years ago. I'm saying approximately because there's debates on the exact dates. And there's two other lineages that branched off of that one, the Tuikanukupolu and the Tuihatakalawa. And those three lineages were the paramount chiefs that had a sense of kind of separation of powers, if you will, with a loosely governed system where local areas had a lot of autonomy over the way they lived their lives, but that were loosely governed collectively with these three chiefs that were then centralized into a single power um, under the Tuikanukupolu at the moment, and what has become the modern Tongan nation. So when is Tonga? If we're looking at it from there, 150 years, that's connected to a thousand-year legacy, but there's been people there for at least 3,000 years, according to archaeology. So what were they 2,000 years mm. prior to that? And if we go to the previous voyages, <laughs> when you know people are coming from Vanuatu and the Solomons and the coastal areas of Papua, you know, all the way up through to Taiwan, you know, where where's the starting point? So <laughs> when is Tonga? When is the concept? emerging of what it means to be Tongan and to be referred to yourself in that way. Mm. Um, and, and so that's some of the questions that we have that we're thinking about, that, that we've been thinking about in regards to thinking about the history critically. Because if we begin to an- ask these questions in that way, we have to then look at the old writings in, the, in those contexts that there is a creation of a particular identity uh, from outside that has come to inform the way people on the inside see themselves. And so you have missionaries and explorers, invaders, colonizers, beachcombers, and the like throughout Oceania the last few centuries. But when they first arrive, they create a new context. So I'm going to share a couple of quotes here from a few different places to try to contextualize the way we're thinking about looking at this history kind of critically, but then also open it up after that to Atta to add anything to that and to maybe uh, think about some other things that help us understand um, Tongan culture and history in, in a different way, where then Tonga then becomes just the starting point. 
And if we go far enough back, maybe instead of Tonga, it's Kakai Moana or Ha'a Moana or Kaivai or Kakai Oifonua or, you know, there's the people of the land, the ocean people, the the, the voyagers. There's, um, there's just all these different ways of changing that identity. And then that connects to a lot of other things that are maybe rooted in Tonga because of the starting point of today, but that expand way out beyond that as well. So this is a section from the abstract of a doctoral thesis that was recently published out of UC Berkeley, and this is by Fui Fui Lupe Niumetol. Um, and I'm just going to read a, a quote from it to think about the first interaction that she writes about uh, with foreigners in the context of Tonga. So she says, the European racialized projects began in the 17th century with the arrival of the first Europeans. They were Dutch explorers traveling on Tongan waters in an expedition searching for capitalistic and opportunistic gain. At the moment of contact with, with Tonganness, uh, these Dutch explorers deployed terror through heinous use of firearms on the bodies of unarmed Tongan families riding on a Tongyaki, which is a large sea vessel, on their way to Samoa. This historical moment serves as a harbinger outlining the unrelenting violence of European and U.S. racialized projects on Tongan-ness. Close quote. So if we take... Um, Neomaitolu's uh, perspective here, then if the first encounter with Europeans is a violent encounter of terror or that causes trauma, how is that going to impact later points of contact with Europeans in this region? So then Captain Cook shows up. And the, the irony, right, is that Captain Cook names Tonga the Friendly Islands. We'll find, we find out later on from William Mariner, another a person who shows up much later on, um, that turns out Tongans were actually plotting to kill Captain Cook. Um, he took off and Kanaka Hawaii uh, uh, finished the job uh, later on. Um, but Tongans had the plan to do it. Um, there was a disagreement on how to go about it, and so the, the plan was canceled, and then he took off from Tongatapu to a different island. And so... Um, it, it didn't go through, but there was a mix of, I, I imagine, feelings in the encounter with, with Cook and his voyage. On one hand, there is the Tongan hospitality that's providing food and gifts and trade, but then also the exchange, and you can imagine there's going to be different uh, worldviews that are colliding. Um, for me, when I think about Europeans in the Pacific or Europeans in the Americas, it's, for me, it's pretty much like every movie that's been made about aliens contacting human beings, right? Independence Day, Battleship. I mean, there's all these ones about that. And for me, I'm like, these aren't fantasy. Like, these things actually happen. But the thing is, those are being told from one side of the perspective. Yeah. And, you know, and so one of the things that Captain Cook writes about, this is now coming from the book James Cook, The Voyages uh, by William Frame and Laura Walker. And they're taking from some of Captain Cook's journals here where um, this is now outside of Tongatapu, the kind of the, the, the larger central island at the moment. Um, and when he arrives in the Ha'apai group, um, and in particular in Lifuka, um, he writes about these, these games that were being played. And then he talks about how other men are boxing, which was, quote, very little different from the method practiced in England, but what struck us with the most surprise was to see a couple of lusty wenches step forth and without the least ceremony fall to boxing and with as much art as the men. Close quote. 
Uh, so I think uh, we definitely need to be critical of the way we try to understand that because, sure, some people might be like, oh, that was a different time. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure Tongans were not calling women lusty wenches. <laughs> and so we have to also be critical of that. Maybe that was okay for Cook and the culture he was coming from at that time, but it certainly wasn't for, uh, at least in my reading of Tongan history, for Tongans um, at that time in the way they saw and understood themselves. Uh, and also here you see that gender thing where in Tonga, if it was a Tongan writing it, maybe that wouldn't have been a big deal because obviously women were engaged in athletic sports and even in uh, sports such as uh, contact sports, in this case boxing, which in the Victorian European sense was considered a masculine thing. So how does that then influence the, the way they began to see Tongans and the way Tongans began to see themselves? This, this applies to aesthetics of beauty. This applies to who can be in power and who can't be in power, who can be a religious leader, who can't be a religious leader, who can do what and who can't do, you know, and these, that I would argue is sometimes even more powerful than any other system is culture itself. If the culture believes it, then that's it. And this isn't to say that Europe was always like this. This is the Victorian era in Europe, okay? Ancient Europe, very different story, okay? Before Europeans colonized themselves and each other, there was a very different way of living even in that context. And so... It's about kind of understanding it critically. So think about that in that sense. This is what was going on in this collision of different cultures that had come in. And it's not to say that people weren't interacting with other cultures, but these are drastically different cultures at a drastically different time in human history, unlike any time before. This is why they make movies about it, right? And this is why Independence Day is about colonizers coming to take all the land and resources and they're scared. It's them talking about their history <laughs> of what they did everywhere else, yeah. okay? And it's subconsciously still coming out through these Hollywood films that came out in uh, Battleship as well. Now, thankfully, there's some better films out there that kind of change things up, uh, meaning that that's not the only way of interacting with a foreign culture, uh, you know, um, but understanding it within that context as well, like all these previous events and how does that influence that? How does what's going on in the region and across the Moana influence the, the acts um, that are taking place there? And, and you know, the, how do we look at as many different perspectives as possible, but also take into account the power that, that there is, like whose perspective is it? And if we're only getting it from particular groups or people who are positioned in society and in the world in a particular way, how is that skewing the way we understand these things and how can... Uh, so that's what critical perspectives can do is it can help us kind of identify those things and question them and then question and push things further to try to open up uh, a bigger spectrum of possibilities and understanding uh, events and, and phenomena. I've been talking way too much. Atta, take it away. Yeah, so a lot of the, what we've been talking about is there has been so much written about Tonga, about our history, about our culture, about our language by both Tongans and non-Tongans. It, and it's not only just study, you know, Tongan studies, but we, we, we want to look at it critically. And what that means is that, you know, if, if, we're, if we're going to imagine a Tongan studies, we have to imagine it critically because when we when we talk about Donga or we when we study about Donga, we can a lot of the times we become very Tongan centric. Uh, we become and what that means is we center ourselves as Tongans 
to where it's hard to it's hard for us to see beyond ourselves. So we have um, so just like the term ethnocentric, where um, it's we center we, we center everything on ourselves so much that um, that we're not able to look at ourselves critically. So Donga is a perfect example because we're a very proud people, even with Matema Donga. A lot of um, pride within who we are, a lot of pride within Christianity, but at the same time we have to be critical about um, about who we are and where we come from. A critical Tongan studies kind of is a look looks beyond that and a lot of the things that we've been talking about already about what does it mean to be Tongan, what does it mean to be Tongan beyond beyond this very stereotypical stereotypical image of being Tongan, whether you speak the language, whether you're Tong, whether you're Christian or not Christian, and that's kind of hard to imagine for a lot of Tongans. Is there are actually Tongans out there who are not Christian? There are Muslim Tongans in Tonga. There are Baha'i Tongans in Tonga. And there are also atheist Tongans throughout the world. I think that if we are able to think about uh, Tonga, think about our our culture, our history. Um, our language, both as Tongans and as allies who write about Tonga, then we're able to kind of identify maybe some of the social issues that are that are within our communities today in Tonga and also outside of Tonga, and understanding how can we, um, you know, in in the context of Tonga, uh, how can we get boys to stop fighting in town, and outside of Tonga with issues of um, abuse and even in Tonga. Um, how can we address kind of these social issues that that are that we find within Tongan communities? Um, and I think a lot of a lot of the solutions or kind of the dis or, or how we can move forward is by taking a look at who we are, where we come from, and where we don't come from. Oh, that's, that's awesome. You know, thinking about um, that's a hard thing to do. You know, like that can be a very uncomfortable thing. I remember for myself, my journey of identity. Like to today, I can stand in my own space. As who I am, comfortably with who I am and who I'm not, you know, because I felt pressures of the idea of what it meant to be Mayan, for example, based off of these other images that I would see, which were connected to how I saw myself, but weren't exactly how I saw myself, because I'm a Mayan who grew up in, you know, west side of Salt Lake with a lot of Tongan friends. <laughs> so what does that look like? There was nothing out there like that for me, you know? And so I, it can't be an uncomfortable thing to question your own. Uh, identity of how you have come to understand yourself. Uh, I know it was difficult for me. It definitely was a difficult journey, uh, but I feel much better now. I feel more liberated because I don't feel the same pressures or constraints of, oh, this is this or this is that. Because I've come into a place of like I became my version of what it means to be Mayan. Uh, we knock and I'm just like whatever I do is that because <laughs> that's what my I'm yeah. you know I'm part of this conversation I'm part of this web of diversity and even though I have a connection to other Mayans which is what makes me Mayan in the same way that Tongans call themselves Tongan because they have connections to Tonga with other Tongans they're different kinds of Tongans and that's okay <laughs> like but sometimes there are issues because of colonization capitalism you know, all, you know, uh, patriarch, we have all these different ideologies that have come into uh, our world as we know it that are entangled in the way we see ourselves and each other that sometimes get, you know, make it difficult. And so I, I wanted to ask you, Atta, as well, to kind of build on that, like, why are you doing, studying research with Tongans as a Tongan? Like, why did you want to do it? But also, like, what has been some of you navigating that because... You're not, you know, there isn't a Tongan studies, but there is a Pacific studies. Yeah. Why did you choose to do it here in ethnomusicology? On one hand, you are researching Tonga as a Tongan. Yeah. 
But on the other hand, too, like you're also doing it outside of Pacific Studies. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So um, for me, the, the, a big reason why I wanted to be in anthropology specifically is because when I decided I wanted to um, focus my research um, within my own identity, within my own community, a lot of what I was reading, especially history and culture uh, pre-Christianity, was, was by you know, these, these anthropologists who are writing about Donga. So we have Gifford and Collicott in the early 1900s. Just a lot of anthropologists in Donga, archaeology, social anthropology. Um, but, you know, with it, when we see people writing about Donga outside of a, a Tongan lived experience, we kind of see the biases of European perspectives um, in, in their works. And we've kind of talked about this before because um, research, you know, the early research about Donga was very male, male-centered. Most most people writing about Donga were male. A lot of what they were writing about Donga was very patriarchal and very dismissive of, you know, the important role of Manafifine or important role of the Fahu. Um, and so the reason why I wanted to be in, in anthropology as a Tongan was because, you know, if Tongans aren't going to be writing about Donga within these spaces, then non-Tongans are going to continue to write about Donga. And not saying that it's, that it's bad or it's horrible, but the perspectives that we bring together with non-Tongans can allow us to kind of understand who we were, um, especially thinking about it critically with Christianity, the nation state, who we are now, and then who, who we are becoming and who, what we, who, are, who we are becoming, especially with issues of now more Tongans are living outside of Donga than, than inside of Tongan. Doma. But as far as being in anthropology or Pacific Studies here at University of Auckland, Pacific Studies has a very no, well-known Pacific Studies program. And I, I, you know, coming to coming to the University of Auckland, I, I did what I, I was kind of deciding whether to be in anthropology or or Pacific Studies. But in my mind, you know, Tong, just because there's a Pacific Studies here at the University of Auckland doesn't mean that all Pacific students need to be in Pacific Studies. Pacific students, Pacifica students, or can be anywhere they want. They can be in business, they can be in engineering, they can be in anthropology. And so that's kind of the pushback that I've been getting. We prefer you in the social sciences and not in the <laughs> business school, but, but it's okay, you can go there. Yeah, so, yeah, so I, I've been getting pushback in both, in both sides, both anthropology and Pacific studies. You know, I'm here in anthropology, the only Tongan, the only Pacifica, no Maori PhD student here in this department. And I, you know, I get the questions, why are you here in anthropology and not in Pacific Studies? And then people from Pacific Studies see me as the only Tongan Pacifica here in, here in anthropology. And they're like, why are you here? Why are you there with them, with them and not here with us? But for me, it's we can be where we want, wherever we want to be. And if I'm here, then it allows more Tongans, more Pacifica to know that we belong wherever we want to belong. Amen to that. Um, I think that's a great message, right? Like, we need more everywhere, right? <laughs> in Pacific Studies, they have great program, great tradition, it's moving in great directions, and in anthropology. Uh, and that's the same, it's like we were saying earlier, you know, there's over, there's like a thousand publications on Tonga. That's amazing. And it's influenced the world indirectly. And so a lot of the world has been influenced by Tongan research, <laughs> whether it has to do with gender or history or policy or health or whatever, and maybe has no idea that some of that knowledge or information came from people doing research in Tonga or with Tongans. And, um, and so it's not to say that that stuff can't happen, but there is a power imbalance that needs to be balanced out. Because it certainly needs to be balanced out when it, in terms of gender and in terms of ethnicity. 
Um, and that doesn't mean that it automatically is going to improve everything. We have to have a critical lens. That's why we're saying we're going to be critical. Because just because you come from a particular culture doesn't mean that you're going to espouse, <laughs> you know, critical beliefs. You might reinforce uh, a, a very different belief that might be contrary or contradictory. Um, or, or, or maybe, uh, uh, who knows, right? And so it doesn't mean that that's automatically going to solve it, right? Yeah. But it, it, it is one way of measuring and beginning to look at things a little bit differently and to try to expand and have a more holistic view of, of how we understand a particular place. And this applies not just to Tongan studies, but this would be also Mayan studies or Samoan studies or wherever, or wherever have you, to think about those things in, in holistic manners. And when we think about Tonga, right, like where, where, where do we begin? Mm. When do we begin? <laughs> because when do you begin? Like, you know, if you're beginning before Tonga was a concept as, a, <laughs> as an identity, then, yeah. then you can't do that without talking about Samoa or Fiji, yeah. using the terms that we use today, right? So using where we're at today as starting points, but pushing back into time further into the future <laughs> from a Tongan philosophical perspective, right? <laughs> you know, we're, like Dr. Mahina says, you know, walking backwards into the future, yeah. forward into the past. start wrapping it up but one of the things that um, I'd like you to also maybe share as well uh, as we, 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 we begin to close it up here is we've been talking about academic references yeah right so we'll share some of those but there's so much more too right like of course those academic references are, are useful and, and, and we should engage with them and we should be critical of them but we should also be engaging with a lot of other stuff outside of academic publications and also be critical of those too, you know? And so I, I just wanted to list off a few and then I wanted Atta to list off a few as well to think about um, and to share um, and, and we'll kind of and we'll see how we go. So there's musicians, for example, uh, like local art, uh, hip-hop artist Rizvine or Kiss B, K Barber, in Salt Lake or Three Houses Down, the reggae group. I mean, they're telling Tongan stories, yeah. you know, and they're using different mediums, but, why, you know, why doesn't that count? Uh, there's also a whole realm of up-and-coming scholars um, that it's really exciting to think about. Um, Mona Hafoka has just completed a PhD on uh, the Tongan deportees and the role that the U.S. plays in this, and he's currently based at Dixie State. Really interesting work coming out there. Edmund Fajoko did his master's on Kava, but he's currently doing research on problem gambling. Um, doing some interesting stuff there. Uh, Lavinia uh, Uluave uh, is doing work on women in education. Marlena Wolfgram, uh, who's a science educator, doing research with critical race theory in education. Noka Hafoka looking at education and work, particularly with airlines. Rachel Cocker's coming out of, uh, as well, doing research. Uh, Rachel's uh, both Tongan and Kiowa and looking at spiritual economy, um, and she's uh, out in business. Mwana Uluave Hafoka, who is a poet and artist and writer, who do, does a lot of work there as well. Uh, Adriana A. Sleer, music, art, performance based out of Oz. Um, Anao Henry, who's a member of the Tongan Research Association and the New Zealand rep here to, together with Ata. Caroline Matamua just for, uh, finished submitting her 
her honors thesis in um, uh, Tongan women in rugby. Um, we've got Eric Soakai coming out of philosophy and theology, a young scholar, uh, uh, Mbula uh, as, as well, coming out with indigenous Tongan architecture. Um, there's heaps of exciting scholars coming out. There's so many more that I haven't even listed. Um, there's also podcasts like this one, Two Brownish Girls, Tokyo Kamea, The Story of a Mariner with Lisiate Wolfgram, Sorry About It, Brown Girls Therapy, Kava Cast, Kakai Meitahi, The Encouragers, Aisle 7, The Podcast, and more um, of people putting out Tongan stories. And then there's also artists, uh, Dagma Dyke, um, Benjamin Work, we have Seleka and Tonga with Daniela Petelo and Tevita um, Latu and others, Terry Kolomatangi doing important work in tattooing. Kolokesa uh, Mahina Tuai just recently co-authored another book. Vema who puts out documentaries. The list goes on and on. And, <laughs> and there's a whole list of even uh, Tongan scholars. From Epele Hawofa, Seone Latukefu, um, Nasiri Vakauta, Konai Helutheimen, Elisa Futahelu, Okositino uh, Mahina, Tevita Kaili, Malakai Kolomatangi, Melenaite Taumoe Folau, Seone Vaka, Sitiveni Halapua, Timote Violetti, Telesia Calavite, Adrian Villami Bell, Halaivalu Vakalahi, Carlo Mila. Uh, there's the Loao movement in Tonga with Siosiwa Lafetani and Inoke Huacao. There's Atenisi Institute with Sisi Unohelu. Um, and also David Faavai, who's coming out of USP and, and uh, came back to New Zealand as well. And these are just scratching the surface of people who are doing <laughs> all kinds of work on Tongan history, health, culture, and more. And so I thought, obviously we missed heaps, but is there any that you wanted to highlight or, or maybe share how to access some of these things? Because that's the other issue, right, is all this stuff's been written on Tonga, but where can you find this yeah. stuff? How can we access some of these things? Um, and part of it's maybe just learning where to look, how to look, and then part of it's about breaking down the walls that keep us from accessing <laughs> yeah, too. Definitely. So there's a few different things going on there, but... Yeah, I mean, because for Daniel and I, we have access to, through university, to a lot of the academic work that has been published. But for those of you who don't have access or, or you don't know where to look, um, Google, Google, Google Scholar is a great place to look for um, any published works that you want to read about Tonga. So even with Epelia Haofa's, um, or Google, Google's Google, just Google in general. So Epelia Haofa's um, We Are the Ocean book, if you just Google We Are the Ocean PDF, you'll probably be able to find it. Um, just in PDF, electronic form. So a lot of great work by Epelia Haofa. Um, there are two, di two, uh, two dictionaries on Google Books. Um, the first dictionary is by an author, uh, named, the last name is Rabone in 1845, and then Shirley Baker in 1897. So a lot of the, the language um, that they collected in the 1800s, um, for me, for, for me is, it's, it's just fascinating to look um, just at a lot of the language that isn't being used today and looking at kind of more of the metaphorical and symbolic uses of the Tongan language um, um, during that time that isn't really um, necessarily used uh, used today in the language. Do you have an example maybe to share with that? Yeah, so um, um, taiki is, is a word. Taiki was a word that was used in um, in, in Tonga, it's a word. It's a common word that is used here in Aotearoa, in Tereo, um, with the Maori, um, when they finish their um, Karakia. karakias. Uh, but in in Tongan, it has a similar use as far as uh, meaning like immovable, and then it also had a um, a meaning 
um, tied to the ocean. I can't, I can't remember. But it's just when I hear a lot of the words in Maori and I want to make the connection because our languages are a lot closer than we might even uh, realize. I go to this, I go to this dictionary and, you know, I find the Maori word. And then if I can't find the, the tongue word in, you know, a more recent um, dictionary, then I go to the older dictionary. And most times I'm able to find kind of um, just the very similar uses of both words um, through metaphor and through symbolism. So, but yeah, I mean, the internet is a great place to start, especially with, uh, with Facebook, um, Matongi Online, if you follow them on Facebook or if you, or if you look, check their, um, their website, they're um, publishing a lot of, a lot of great um, work. A lot of it has been archeology, span but it's interesting to see kind of what they're finding about Tongans that were living in Tonga, you know, a thousand or from the earliest Tongan settlements of in Tonga um, and how even the, the landscape of Tonga was very, very different than it, than it is today. Um, the, water, the water levels, I think, were a lot higher. And so, um, you know, Hatteho was underwater, if, if you know kind of the, the geography of Tonga. Um, and so life back then was very different than it is today. So, Some key things to take from that, right? When you're doing a Google search, include PDF. <laughs> yeah, It's exactly. incredible how yeah. much stuff is available. Now, the, unfortunately, it's hard to access a lot of stuff from the academic journals. Yeah. There's a whole other politics around that, which won't get into at the moment. Um, but there are some scholars who do try to share their work because they know about that. And there's two platforms. One is academia.edu. Mm. The other one is ResearchGate. If you Google those in Tonga or Samoa or Maori or Mayan or Chicano or African American or whatever, like whatever keyword you want to put in there with it, you're going to find stuff that comes up. And scholars who are willing to share their work um, that's maybe published in a journal that's hard to access if you're not in a university. Mm -hmm. And so that's another way of accessing some of those things. There's also stuff um, beyond the podcast that I mentioned and the artists as well. Uh, Paul Janman uh, made a uh, film yeah. called Tongan Ark, which is available for free to watch on Vimeo. Just look up Tongan Ark, Vimeo. Um, and it's a brilliant film to definitely watch. It's, it's highlighting um, the late Elisa Futahelu. Um, and, and his life and a lot of uh, his thinking about what it means to be Tongan and, uh, as well as thinking about philosophy and, and a lot of other um, really interesting things. Um, but also I would say if you're on Facebook, look up Tevita Kaili and go follow him on Facebook. Yeah. Um, he is, I don't do Facebook very well. That's why I'm doing a podcast. But he <laughs> does Facebook well. Like He just has a good sense of present, presentation. Um, but he's a Tongan anthropologist based out of BYU, Hawaii, and uh, very generous with his knowledge and often shares references and lists and pictures from books and his own research and all kinds of really cool and interesting facts and history. And there's all kinds of stuff to online as well. I imagine some people may be following that stuff as well. Um, Tongan history sites and, and pages and, and what have you. Um, but there's there is that. So if you if you start searching in those ways, hopefully you can find that. You know, it only took uh, me uh, six digits of uh, student loan debt to find out how to find things. Um, but maybe you can do it without going into that much student loan debt. Um, and and look up whatever you're interested in looking up and research what you're interested in researching. Anything you want to share on thinking about critical Tongan studies or what you imagine, what do you hope it turns into? What do you hope the future holds? Yeah, I mean, a lot of because a lot of my friends and people that I know see that I'm I'm studying here in Aotearoa, so a lot of them reach out to me, just curious about 
um, just Tongan, Tongan history, Tongan identity. Um, and so once we, and like we've been talking about today, once we think about our identity cri uh, critically, we will really find a, a rich history, a rich identity of being Tongan and being kind of who we, who we are and who we were before. Um, and so I just encourage everyone to, to really look at uh, the history and the culture and kind of think about it critically to kind of understand who we are as Tong Tongans. Because for me, um, when I think about Tongan identity and Tong uh, Tongan identity and Tongan pride, you know, religion is something that kind of separates, separates with us in a way where, you know, Mormons are hanging out, only hanging out with Mormons, Siastonga are hanging out with Siastonga, the Church of Tonga, Methodists are hanging out with Methodists, but really what brings us together as Tongans is being Tongan. And so a perfect example of that is Matema Tonga, where no matter who you are, where you come from, what religion you are, or what sexuality, gender, anything like that, Matema Tonga was, if you're Tongan and you say you're Tongan, you're Tongan. And it was such a beautiful moment in time where, you know, it wasn't like this plastic Tongan or it wasn't this Fia Palangi, but it was just, you know, we have pride in who we are, where we come from, um, regardless of kind of the complexities of, you know, where, where, wherever we're living. Matema um, Adonga was, was something that really shows us that the true nature of, of, Tong, of being Tongan is being Tongan and kind of celebrating a shared history and a shared identity. You've made me think of something with that. So Matamatonga is the, the rugby league team, um, currently called uh, uh, That's another episode, another, <laughs> another time. But, uh, you know, this was the 2017 Rugby League World Cup where this Tongan team was not expected to go very far. They were being ranked low. It's a whole other episode to talk, <laughs> think about that. But they made it to the semifinals. Got robbed there too, but they made it there, and it was such a high energy moment. And by that time, there's so less, there's a lot less other teams as well. There was a lot of people <laughs> who were jumping on that that Tongan thing. Now, if you're not Tongan, and you don't aren't familiar with how Tongans throw down for a rugby match, I'm talking about the fans. Okay, <laughs> the players are phenomenal as well. Okay, but I'm talking about the fans. Um, you need to go do some research on YouTube or Google and look up Tongan fans. And this is global. Um, it, it, they go hard out. Like there's, we were here in Aotearoa and you would, you would have thought we were in a home stadium in Tonga. <laughs> because the whole stadium was the Tongan colors. Both Tongan colors. <laughs> but, but it was full of the Tongan colors. People singing the same Tongan hymns together. And even those who weren't even part of that religion. Looking it up on YouTube so they could sing along or whatever. It was a really um, a beautiful thing to witness and observe. But that's one of the most exciting things for me that I think Tonga offers the world. Look at how Tongans organize and come together for something like that. I don't know anybody else. And I'm talking about per capita here. you got to think about the, the, there was somebody posted up on Facebook the last match that happened. It was like a year ago. Um, and it, was, it took place here in Auckland. And because of the size of the stadium and the people going there, that was literally a quarter of the entire Tongan population. <laughs> Could you imagine a quarter of any national population anywhere in the world coming together to do anything? <laughs> now, this is for rugby. What excites me is what happens when that same enthusiasm and collective energy and organization comes together for other things, mm. like boycotting <laughs> exploitative labor <laughs> on working-class Tongans, for example, or... 
you know, other issues that affect Tongan communities and even not just Tongan communities? What would it look like for Tongans to mobilize in that way on and that scale for local Maori issues um, <laughs> or local black fella issues in Australia or American Indian issues in the U.S.? But we can't do that if we're isolated. Mm. And this goes for those other communities as well, right? Like this is one of the reasons I'm doing Tongan studies is because I feel confident in my identity as a Mayan and I wanted to come in relation with other people to collaborate and see what world we can build together. In the mm. words of Epeli Haofa, when he talks about Oceania covers all the shores that it covers, right? So it's not just the islands in the middle of the sea. That was the colonial <laughs> perspective, at mm. least according to Haofa. He said all the shores that it reaches, and it reaches my shores too. Now, we have a different relationship to it, different perspective to it, but we're connected by that same ocean. Mm. What does it look like when we begin to connect through waterways and oceanways globally um, and learn from the enthusiasm that Tongans have, the incredible legacy of Tongan scholars, the point that we haven't mentioned yet either, is that for a long period of time, maybe still the case, I'm not sure, Tongans had the most amount of PhDs per capita than any other country in the world. <laughs> so next time you come across a stereotype of a Tongan athlete or football player, question it and say, actually, yes, that's a phenomenal athlete. We should acknowledge his athleticism and his incredible work, and I'm gendering it there because that's usually who gets the credit yeah. for being a phenomenal athlete. There's obviously a lot of phenomenal women athletes as well, but you can also question and be like, there's also heaps of Tongan intellectuals, <laughs> and that's an incredible legacy also that's often erased. To kind of wrap up some of the ideas, you know, what we're trying to imagine a critical Tongan studies to be is not only questioning the starting points and, and the place and, uh, and what have you and, and who's writing about it, right? It was one of it, but we're like moving beyond that and saying, how have Tongans been writing their own history this whole time as artists, as musicians, as sculptors, as, you know, uh, farmers as all these different ways storytellers and so you can find this legacy in music both contemporary and ancient you can find it in the Faikava circles you can find it in the Kokoanga where women are gathering and making natu the, um, the pounded uh, bark cloth you can find it in the Fala weaving groups and the story that's being taught there you can find um, all of this in all these spaces that do not exist inside of the academy necessarily and i say that because when tongans come into the academy they bring that with them and so there's elements of that in there but the structure of this space isn't transformed yet to include that so for us critical tongan studies must of course include everything that's there because it's part of the perspective even if it's a perspective we don't agree with and want to critique it's part of the story of what's been told and it's an understanding that even if we're uh, trying to dismantle some of those things and relearn uh, perspectives and, and try to recover an indigenous way of understanding Tonga and how Tonga is relevant uh, for Tongans, I think first and foremost, it has to be grounded in a group of people and it has to benefit them. So I, as a non-Tongan, I think about that. Like, is my work relevant to Tongan community, to the, to the relations that I have? And, um, and that has to be in the center. But I also think 
this is also relevant to the rest of the world as human beings because Tongans have incredible stories and history and knowledge to contribute just like all these other groups of people. And the reason I like to talk about it is because there isn't a whole lot out there in that. And so that's part of what the goal of this podcast is, is to share stories that exist, that have been existing and that are around, but that maybe don't have uh, the visibility that I would say they should have. Uh, if we really want to think about understanding ourselves as human beings, understanding each other as human beings, <laughs> and how we're similar and different, and how those similarities are important, and how those differences are important, and how knowledge from the past in the present can help inform our future um, to maybe not make the same mistakes, right? Maybe we could learn from history for once um, and hopefully transform our world to a better world and bring the best that um, Tongan history, culture, and philosophy has to offer and more. So we'll leave it that with, with all of you. Thanks for listening. Malo a pito and ofat. Well.